Kubernetes community. Welcome to the Pod CTL podcast. This is our second show, and I want to thank everyone for the great response we had for the first one. It's been really positive, and we've we've already had a number of people that are looking to come on as guests, uh, which uh, we're, we're pretty excited about. Uh, the challenge we're, we're running into right now is figure out what we're going to do for show two, show three, because there's just so much going on. Um, so what we've decided for a while, we're just going to make sure we cover all the fundamentals of containers and Kubernetes sort of as a, as a level set uh, to make sure uh, we, we get everyone on the same page. I, I think we could have gone a lot of different ways. I mean, we could have gone really deep dive. And one of the things I found in one of my other podcasts that I do is people would constantly come back and go, you know, I'm new to the space and I went and listened to your shows kind of would be like, well, where do I start? Because because the topics were all over the place. It was on cloud computing, which obviously is huge. So hopefully this this format will work out well. You know, we'll try and get, you know, through the first six, seven, eight episodes and, and try and give people a nice, really good foundation around containers and Kubernetes. And then we'll kind of see where the market goes. So for now, we're going to we're gonna bang out some real basic stuff. And, and I think for a lot of people, hopefully that'll help establish a good foundation. So excited to be on the second show. I think the first one went well and, and the feedback has been really nice from people. So uh, great. And as always, if you like it, Tell a friend, uh, rate us on iTunes, um, share it. Uh, we've been we've been getting lots of good uh, good feedback so far. Well, listen, why don't we jump a little bit into some news of the week? We will cover this when there's when there's big news. And um, this week was a little quiet uh, in terms of news. Last week we talked about AWS joining the CNCF, which was a, a big deal. It was sort of the last remaining piece of the major cloud providers coming out and and wanting to be part of the kind of CNCF community, Kubernetes community. Were you surprised that this week at AWS Summit? They they did not announce a Kubernetes service. I thought the timing would have been really well planned. Yeah, absolutely. I thought, um, yeah, the timing of the, the CNCF announcement and then with the uh, AWS Summit New York was seemed to telegraph that. But um, I think it probably we're going to be talking about it at reInvent then or something is what I would expect now if it didn't if it wasn't at uh, the AWS Summit in New York. But yeah, that's it's a bit surprising. The other news that came out this week, which I thought was sort of interesting, not so much news, but uh, a nice in-depth thing. And this is going to lead into where we're going to go with the rest of the show. The folks from GitHub, who I think they sort of, you know, via tweet announced a couple of weeks ago, maybe a month or so ago that GitHub now runs on Kubernetes. And there was a really nice write-up in the new stack that Alex Williams had done an interview with, uh, or that the new stack team had done an interview with Kubernetes or with GitHub about their Kubernetes uh, implementation. What, you know, in, in reading through that, was there anything that surprised you or, or how they went about pulling it together and learning about it? You know, I think I found it super fascinating from the standpoint of there. there's really two types of real world use case type announcements or talks. And, and you see them sometimes at, at conferences and things like that. There's usually the executive of company who's using the technology gets up there and because they're a high, you know, high level executive, they really don't know the details. So they're just talking, you know, business value of, you know, using technology A, B or C, which is which is still important. Uh, and then there's the, the deep divey technical. Here's how we're actually using it thing, which I think is really helpful for people kind of evaluating, you know, using some of these technologies, if they, you know, does this make sense for us? How do they get over those hurdles? Uh, so, so this, you know, this is clearly the latter. Uh, and there were some interesting things in there about how they're deploying Kubernetes, why they're using it, all those types of things. I, I thought what stuck out to me was the key decision points on using Kubernetes. A big piece of it was they said they're, they're vibrant open source community. So the community around Kubernetes uh, supporting the project was really important to them. And then sort of a corollary, corollary of that <laughs> is, uh, you know, the all the information about out there about Kubernetes, not just the, you know, the core documentation, but everyone talking about here's how we're doing it. Here's the thing we built with it, which I think is really important. And then and the last one, which I think kind of uh, speaks to experience as well was the the first run experience. 
experience, right? So how easy they were able to get some Kubernetes up and running to, to kind of poke, the, you know, poke at it and see if it made sense for them. There's always going to be people who are going to take a case study like this and say, well, GitHub is a, a web scale company. They're a web company. You know, maybe they don't really, their learnings don't apply to me because their applications are different than ours, right? You don't, you don't necessarily think of GitHub, for example, as like a, a company that does a lot of financial transactions, although obviously they do for, for all their users. And people sometimes think of it as, as more of a communication tool than anything else. To me, and I think you hit on a lot of really, really good points. I think if you sort of take the name off the case study, there's a lot in there that a lot of companies can learn from, right? They talk about, you know, like you said, how they evaluate working with, with certain communities and how stable they felt like the communities are. There was some good pieces in there about how they did some hackathons to try out certain things. They talked about having certain people on the team really kind of dive deep. They mentioned Kelsey Hightower's- um, Kubernetes the hard way. Yeah, Kubernetes yeah. the hard way. You know, having kind of gone through stripping it down to the bare bones, learning about it from the ground up. And then I thought there was one line that was kind of kind of interesting and, and sort of it puts containers into into a certain light. They said, yeah, we just we made a Docker file that was all of github.com. And you, and you, <laughs> and you kind of and, and granted, that's probably just the front page of it. But you think about that and then compare that to these huge monolithic web frameworks that people had been using 10, 15 years ago. And you go, we're now able to do that as one Docker file. And that can now get into you know a bunch of containers that are front end. So yeah, lots of really good learning in there that I think, again, is applicable to a lot of companies. This decision process, how they trained up certain people, how they went and experimented with certain things. And then core thing, they said, you know, we started with some stuff that's really important to us. You know, they started with github.com and the GitHub API. So I think too many people want to take a new technology and only apply it to quote unquote low hanging fruit. You know, I think the ones that we see being more successful make something that's meaningful, uh, relevant to that technology. And it, it kind of forces them to learn it. It forces them to be accountable and so forth. So, um, it's a nice, it's a really good write up by the folks at new stack. And, uh, we'll have that in the show notes. People can go take a look at it. One of the things we said we wanted to focus today's show on was really kind of this question of who has a Kubernetes problem, who really needs Kubernetes. Is any CIO going to wake up in the morning and say, you know, I have a problem that Kubernetes is going to fix for me. And so we thought what we would do is spend the bulk of the time today going through talking about companies that use Kubernetes and the types of problems they solve and, and what some of the core Kubernetes technologies do to give people that toolbox to go solve common problems. So why don't you kick us off with just from a technology perspective, one of the some what are some of the things that the Kubernetes does kind of by default that are going to help companies be able to say like, oh, that applies to my application or that applies to pattern or a deployment model that we commonly use? Well, I think one of the the kind of anti-patterns that that kind of put people in the wrong mindset with containers and and, thing, and orchestration like Kubernetes is comparing it to, you know, virtual machines and clouds and, and stuff like that. If you really think about the, the power of containers isn't so much isolation, it's more application packaging, right? So, so a Docker file just is a list of stuff, a description of how to build the container. So if you're taking an application no matter what programming language it's built in or whatever you're starting with, start with this base image and then do this stuff to package up everything I need for that container to run, which is basically that application or, or subset of the application. So then when you get up to the Kubernetes layer, you're scheduling those applications and you're managing their interdependencies, right? So this app needs to talk to this app or this app can't run without this app and or you know they have to start in this order for the whole main application to come up. So then there, that's where you get into all the 
Kubernetes constructs besides just run this, you know, run these containers is, you know, things like replica sets and volumes and daemon sets and stateful sets and all these other these constructs in Kubernetes are if you, if you don't know specifically what they are, the syntax or, you know, the the YAML to, to run them, you at least understand at a high level what they're there for. Right. You know, something as simple as, as replica sets is just make sure there's always this many of this container or pod running. Yeah. And I think that's the thing that, that people kind of get their, their, they get wrapped around the wrong axle, which is, you know, there was a lot of talk early on about, you know, you, you kind of had this idea of stateless applications, 12 factor applications, and then containers kind of got wrapped into that discussion and web scale only works if it's done certain ways. And, and at the end of the day, if you really dive into Kubernetes, what you find is it has a bunch of built-in kind of patterns, you know, they're, they're called controllers and they let you do things that you expect applications are going to do. So like you said, replica sets allow you to say, I want a instance of this application put on a bunch of disparate nodes or different pods. So what does that mean? Well, I'm, I'm spreading out the load, you know, and you can link in load balancers then. If you want a stateful, you know, if you want to run a stateful application, meaning it's got to maintain a consistent IP address or a consistent name, even if it crashes and dies, well, that's what stateful sets does for you. It replicates the concept that you are used to doing with your databases and your you know, your legacy stateful applications. And, and there's a whole bunch of examples of that that we'll put in the show notes. But I think that's one of the things that people really need to understand about Kubernetes is it's got all these kind of control patterns built in for things that you're used to doing. Yeah, I, I think that there's concepts that, you know, if you think about them the wrong way, you know, seem foreign, but they're they're pretty basic stuff. Yeah, you know, like you said, the, the stateful sets is a is a great example. And then what's funny is, uh, you know, people assume stateful sets with just stateful applications and you're like well no if you if you see what they do right you said like you said it, it maintains a name or ip uh, you know kind of network name if you will but you may do that for a stateless web tier uh, application um, but you need a stateful name for that group and the same thing with volumes right that's where you can get into to persistent data so you can bring in volumes and and persist data uh, between pods and reboots with, just like you would with any application component so if your app has a you know web layer and then a you know persistence layer like a database, all those things can run in Kubernetes, and then you just have the different Kubernetes concepts to to provide those those pieces that it needs to do to do what it needs to do with that layer, whether it's persist data or be totally stateless, right? Or or do clustering or restart on failure. All those sort of things are, are kind of built in. Which, you know, again, I think a lot of people you have to dig into it a little bit, but. That's one of the things that, that we find in talking to companies. Once that light bulb goes on, it's like, oh, wow, I can use this for a really, really broad set of my applications, both existing applications and the stuff that we want to build down the road. Yeah, I think I think what's what's really kind of powerful about it is some of these things today um, maybe configured, say they're using, you know, virtual machines or using something like VMware and there, you know, there's, you know, DRS and HA policies and stuff like that. And at some layers, they're doing some sort of, you know, configurations in the applications in the VMs themselves. Uh, and, and what Kubernetes kind of brings to it, if you, you know, moving their applications to, to this type of model is you're fully documenting and describing all of those key pieces to your application where you may not be able to see in one place, like this configuration keeps th- this layer of the application all running on separate nodes so they're never running on the same nodes or this app has to talk to this app it's you know sort of that idea of of self-documenting kind of infrastructure to some degree where where 
in these manifests have all of the that information so you know you know not only just like the containers are a docu- you know docker file for a container is documentation of all the stuff in your application and kind of describing what ports it uses and things like that kubernetes is doing it for that wider layer so a collection of, of containers and how they talk to each other and and how they should be scheduled and and how they should be restarted so it, it's fully documented then in the manifests right and and it sort of builds just on this idea that we've been seeing emerging right we've seen people use using various config management tools, you know, Chef and Ansible and Puppet for what people call infrastructure as code. You know, Docker kind of provided you, you know, the the new generation of a of a zip file, but it was kind of like application dependencies as as code. And and now Kubernetes is really providing you, you know, your runtime environment, like you said, described and and repeatable as as code. So you know, again, the the concepts that we're seeing in one layer tend to 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 bubble up to the next layer. And you know, all it's doing is it allowing you to automate things, be more consistent in what you do, be more secure in what you do. So you know, definitely something for people to go dig into. And we'll have links in the show notes. To all those different patterns and controller things that are in there built into Kubernetes, not something that you have to go add on or, or get from a third party. It's kind of just built into the into the core technology. Going beyond just the core technology and, and why it might apply to, to people's applications, you know, the next thing that we hear from a lot of people, and we you know we kicked off the show talking about GitHub and you know it's a web scale company, and does this apply to me? What have you seen in the marketplace in terms of non web scale companies using Kubernetes? Are, are you seeing it being used? you know, in financial services or healthcare or automotive, you know, kind of the big, big industries in, in our in our marketplace that maybe aren't always thought of as being totally leading edge for technology. Yeah, I think that's that's a really interesting point because I remember in the early days of whether it was public cloud and some of those things and, and even stuff like OpenStack, uh, you'd go to any of the conferences and a lot of the companies that were coming out and talking about how they were using the technology were those maybe not web scale, but definitely super new technology oriented companies. So, you know, it was very interesting, but but it wasn't very surprising. What really struck me was very early in the kind of existence of Kubernetes, how quickly they were what you consider kind of old, old school companies talking about using Kubernetes, places like banks, hospitals, you know, health systems, where normally they move really slow on technology, um, really adopting and embracing Kubernetes very quickly. Like you said, even automotive, we see companies like BMW getting out there talking about it, uh, different banks, um, you know, it's it's pretty it's pretty impressive to see how quickly in its relatively short lifespan that Kubernetes has 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 taken off in the enterprise. Yeah, I, I run this little search every day um, through a website called Indeed, which is a job hunting site. Not that I'm looking for a job, but just to see what people are looking for. And, and you know, if you just run it on a keyword Kubernetes, you will be very surprised at the names of the companies that are you know, looking for container skills, you know, looking, I mean, you can run the same search against Docker, uh, but, you know, looking for container skills and, and more importantly, looking for Kubernetes skills. Um, so I put a link in the show notes to the search that I run, but, you know, you run that, uh, it'll pop up an email if, you, if you're if you really interested, but it gives you a sense of, wow, these are the companies that are doing it. And it's it's everything from the consulting companies that are helping other companies, you know, make this happen. So the Accentures and Tata's and and, and all those kind of companies are are looking for these skills. But, you know, you're seeing, like you said, almost every industry. And whether we look uh, from Red Hat perspective, we had a whole bunch of companies at Red Hat Summit that came out. I put a link in the show notes to, you know, a lot of the videos where people talked about their deployments. Uh, but also, if you go over to the, the Kubernetes website, um, you see a whole bunch of referenceable customers, case studies and so forth of companies that are out there. And, 
it's, you know, you look at that and you, you really sort of realize that it's become a mainstream technology really quickly. It's across a whole lot of different industries, which is very interesting. It's, it's definitely burst out of the Silicon Valley bubble. It's around the world. It's, it's not just a U.S. thing. So that, that to me is, is really interesting. Do you, have you seen, I use this example. I've been doing a lot of roadshows lately and I use this example all the time to sort of say, Hey, this has become mainstream. When I do payments, uh, you know, I have to do electronic payments to be able to travel. The companies that I work with that do electronic payments, they run Kubernetes. The app that I use to get into a hotel room uh, that's on my phone is backed by Kubernetes. And then I joke all the time that, you know, I'll take a lift from the airport to like a hotel or somewhere and Lyft is running Kubernetes. And, and while that's sort of interesting because they're a web scale company, they're also giving back technology that's then going to get into the Kubernetes community. So it's it's not only just the web scale companies, but it's impacting sort of all the day-to-day aspects of your life, which is very cool and uh, very powerful. Yeah, I think I think that you hit on something with you know some of the companies like like Lyft um, bringing new technologies back into the the uh, to the community. I think is is super important. I think one of the interesting things on the Kubernetes community too is it's some I think open source communities struck a tone where basically you're not doing open source if you don't contribute back. Um, like don't bother you, you know, it, it came off as, um, you know, kind of like, don't bother using this unless you're going to be an active contributor, which obviously in the enterprise, it's can be tough sometimes. Right. Um, and I feel like the, the Kubernetes community has kind of hit the tone of, Hey, like we love, you know, people contributing and definitely get involved. But if you want to just download the bits and, and use it, like we, you know, we, we love you too, which I think has been, uh, more welcoming to the kind of traditional enterprise shop that doesn't do open source contributions. Yeah. And, you know, it's always cool. Like we said, when we, when we see these contributions come back, you're, you're kind of expecting it from the web scale companies because, um, you know, number one, they want to leverage as many engineering resources as they can. Number two, they're, they're obviously typically hiring. And so, you know, advertising a culture that that's going to work on open source is attractive to a lot of people. Um, I've also found it really interesting. I know we did an event called OpenShift uh, Commons Gathering, uh, and this isn't really Open OpenShift specific, but you know a couple of examples of that. Uh, Swiss Rail, who runs the rail system of Switzerland, who you go, okay, I don't expect them to be a bleeding edge technology company. They're contributing back uh, a number of tools that they use whenever they do upgrades to a, their Kubernetes environment. They run these set of tools that give them a dashboard and lets them know did the resources upgrade properly? Are they prepared to to go forward? Uh, they contributed that. Um, I saw a post from one of the large European banks this morning that talked about, you know, here's how you can run a bunch of things on top of Kubernetes that allow you to to validate working with AWS APIs. And, you know, those are other examples of companies who, you know, like you said, it, it can be hard sometimes in the enterprise, but there's also those examples as well as, you know, the web scale kind of software specific companies developing. And I think that's the other cool thing about what's going on in the Kubernetes community is it is such a broad set of support that's coming from a lot of different areas. Yeah. And, and I think on the enterprise side, what where you see the the most effective way that they where they have expanded and got more involved in the community has been that starting process of like, well, let's start using this technology and then hey, we, we, we want to make some changes or we want to, you know, where, where, where the business may say, hey, we need this, this capability. Like, well, we can build this, but it really has to be upstreamed. And, you know, kind of going through that and then realizing then the business, realizing the value of 
open source contributions back and, and because they're already running the platform and they want to know how to get that feature in there uh, right. type of thing. So it's, it's, uh, it's, it's definitely pretty cool to see that change where, um, you know, you're seeing more and more contributions. Yep. We see the contributions. And then I think a lot of those, those companies would tell you that when those contributions are out there, people are, are always more willing to, to help you to share their experiences. And, and we start to see these kind of cross collaboration, you know, even within industries start to happen, which is, which is very cool. Um, so, you know, we'll sort of stop there in terms of what's going on with customers and companies. I think we're going to put some stuff in the show notes that they give people a lot of examples of that. Um, one of the areas that we're always going to cover in the show as much as we can is how do I learn this stuff? And this week we found uh, a number of, of interesting things about, you know, new ways to learn it. There is, for example, um, the CNCF, the Cloud Native Computing Foundation, has both uh, a free set of training as well as a, uh, an expert-level certification if you want to become certified in uh, Kubernetes or some of the newer technologies. So you know, we'll put the link to the show notes in there. But you know, again, the community showing uh, the resources that you can use and, and you know, training to help you get smarter on that. What else have you found out there to help people get smart on this? Uh, two two resources that that I'm a big fan of. Uh, there's Kubernetes by Example. Uh, just we'll, you know, we'll put the link in there, but it's kubernetesbyexample.com uh, that some members of the OpenShift team uh, have have worked on and put together, which has some some really good uh, kind of getting started with Kubernetes content. And the one you mentioned earlier, also Kelsey Hightower's Kubernetes the Hard Way. Um, is a uh, you know basically just gets right into it here. Start follow these examples and, and start building this stuff, and you'll you'll get a good handle on how Kubernetes works. So I think some of it has to do with you know it's people's individual learning styles too, right? So some people just want to you know start turning the code and see what happens. Some people like a lot more kind of step by step approach. So there there's a lot of these just great resources to uh, to get that initial kind of comfort level with Kubernetes. Yeah, no, and I, I agree with you. A lot of this comes down to what's your learning style? What do you like? Um, there's a there's a woman who's been writing a bunch of really good articles. Her name's uh, Julia Evans, and again, we'll have the, all these in the show notes. Um, she's a software developer, and she's been kind of poking around saying, well, maybe Kubernetes will help me or not. Um, and she's written probably three or four really nice posts the last month or so, month and a half or so, just kind of going, okay, I played around with this little thing. How does it really work? And this week she wrote one that was, how does the Kubernetes scheduler work in general? Um, because again, there are going to be people from an operations perspective that really want to understand how it works. And maybe they're coming from a VM centric world and she's coming from a software development world and trying to understand this. So um, hopefully those links will give you some, some good perspective on you know, how to set it up how it works, and then, you know, whatever your learning style is, I think we're, we're giving you a pretty good mix of those things. Um, so, Tyler, <clears throat> the last thing that we're always trying to do every week is, is answer a really common question that people have. And I you know you and I have, have talked about this. Um, so the question for the week is, you know, what tool should I use to set up my Kubernetes environment? It seems like there's a whole lot of them that are out there, and, and from week to week, you know, a new one pops up. So, is there a best one to use? Is there a best practice yet to use for this? Yeah, this is this is something that uh, yeah we we saw in the in the OpenStack community too. Uh, which luckily in the Kubernetes is a little, a little more uh, simpler to install, so there there's a little less um, you know new install tools coming out week to week, but there still are. Uh, but it, it it's really I think it depends on what your goal is. So you know, like you mentioned. Uh, Julia's blog post, which is with the one this week on the schedule, is really great. Like going into the details, and some people want to 
go through this stall manually step by step to really understand the components, you know, following something like uh, Kelsey's Kubernetes the hard way approach. And some people don't care about any of that and just want to more concerned with how do apps run on Kubernetes. So they may use a managed, you know, fully managed service at the other end of the spectrum. So something like OpenShift Online or or Google's GKE or, or something like that where they can just, hey, I can just start deploying, you know, Kubernetes containers. And then there's there's a ton of stuff, you know, in between automated deployers, open source ones, you know, closed source ones. There There's all sorts of different tools. And it really is, I, I think, is the, the goal. What's your goal? So obviously, as you get more automated, you have less options and less control and things like that. But it's also more streamlined, more repeatable, less overhead. So I think this is something I have seen in the Kubernetes community that we kind of something that was a traditional enterprise operations arc engineering type mindset, which was this every, you know, building these snowflakes, every, you know, our environment, we, we need to make the most perfect thing with all the most perfect components. And that kind of bled into, you know, we saw it with OpenStack where there's just all these different ways and different options. Whereas I think people are now looking for, and, and I hear talking to customers and people in the community, you know, a lot of it is, well, well, cool. I love that there's all these options, but I just want the most mainstream option. Um, right. So, so that's where you see people choosing. You know, for their learning for themselves, they may install it manually to to get a handle on it. But usually, using one of the tools, you know, something packaged like OpenShift or or one of the managed services, um, you know, things like that, just because it's that. Hey, give me the defaults, and we'll we won't change the defaults unless we have reason to. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think the the answer to this ultimately is, um, you know, there's not going to be one tool. Uh, that's the the beauty and the the challenge of, of sort of open source and, and broad community is is people are going to have choices. Um, there's definitely, you know, a trend where any of the vendors, whether they're cloud providers or software vendors, uh, are all going to provide you something that comes with their offering um, because, you know, a piece of software is no good if you can't just get it up and running initially. Uh, you know, I think the guidance and we, we put a, a link to one of our colleagues had written up a just a write up of kind of trying to summarize all the different ones that are out there, not necessarily picking one. Um, but, you know. If you find one that you like, great, but make sure you definitely take a look at it, dig into it a little bit, figure out what opinions it kind of has about how to set things up, what assumptions it makes, uh, because while hopefully at the end of the day, all these different tools will, will get you a, a functioning Kubernetes environment, um, they may make some assumptions that you know aren't what you want on day two or day three about you know high availability or how you know a firewall rule is is set up by default or something so definitely the good news lots of awesome options out there uh the challenging news is you know you're probably going to have to be you know sort of smart about uh about what you do once you once you get it up and running so the car's running and now you're going to put your foot on the gas what should i do so yeah i think those i think you hit on one of the key things is you know there there's I mean, you can practically write a bash script to uh, install Kubernetes. The question is, you know, wh- where are you to go from there? If you actually do are using it, then, hey, I want to upgrade to the new version. Oh, well, how? Hmm. Right. <laughs> you know, right. so that's where it's, you know, ke- keeping in mind how you're going to use Kubernetes and then also how you plan to operate or maintain it. Yep, absolutely. Well, listen, I think we're going to wrap it up there. Um, you know, lots of good discussion about what's going on uh, with real customers, why they're choosing Kubernetes, the different industries, and again, encourage folks to go dig into that and figure out, uh, number one, does it make sense for you? And number two, you know, are there other people in your industry or, or you know, in your geography that you could possibly learn from? So hopefully we, we gave you some information there. A um, couple of housekeeping tips. Um, 
you know, again, if you like the show, uh, we'd love some feedback, whether it's, you know, out on iTunes or whatever, whatever tool you use. I think we've gotten all of the details and, and the kinks worked out. The show should now be published on all of the major podcast uh, networks. So iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and then those uh, networks distribute it to your favorite podcatcher. So hopefully that's been worked out and, and you should be able to get episode one, two and, and beyond very, very easily. Um, if you want to follow us on Twitter, it's at PodCTL. Uh, and all the other notes for how to reach out to us. We'd love your feedback. Uh, you know, tweet at us, shoot us an email, whatever, um, you know, ideas and, and how to make the show fit for you. So we're, we're here to try and educate you and, and keep it interesting. So uh, Tyler, with that, any last words? Uh, no, just, um, you know, happy learning and uh, reach Like you said, reach out to us if you have other questions or topics you'd like to see us address. Great, folks. Thanks. Have a great week and we will talk to you again.